All right, before Jesus' first recorded Passover, and that is given to us in John's Gospel, chapter 2, telling us that there was the Passover of his season of ministry. There's a lot that took place. Was it a full year that took place prior to that first Passover that's recorded by John? We can't be sure, probably a half a year or more. But during that time was the beginning of his ministry. He was baptized by John. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness. Satan came and tempted him at the end of that time with three temptations. And then Satan left him for a season. And Jesus came back on the scene to the area where John the Baptist was baptizing. And John saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. On the very next day, John and Andrew were standing next to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he said to John and Andrew, Behold the Lamb. And from that moment forward, John and Andrew began to follow Jesus. They left John the Baptist. Andrew went to go get his brother Peter. We assume that John fetched his brother James, although Scripture doesn't tell us about that. We also know that Jesus found Philip. And Philip, in return, went to get Nathaniel. And he began to build his disciples, those who had walked with him during the uh, what we deem the three years of ministry, it could have been three plus years, but after that time in John chapter 2, we learned of Jesus doing his first miracle of turning water into wine. And then we have the first recorded Passover there in Jerusalem where Jesus cleansed the temple and then the people came to him and he healed them. And another gospel tells us that he taught them teaching and healing the sick there in the temple. And John tells us that many people believed in Jesus because of the signs that they had seen. These events were followed by Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night, John chapter 3, saying that, Teacher, we know that you have come by, from God because no man can do these things unless the Lord is with him. And of course, Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And talking about the necessity of the second birth. I say all of this because I might have been slightly misleading us. Last week I'd said, and I'm going to pull this from my sermon notes. As Jesus closed out his first year of ministry, one way that he avoided premature death was by removing himself from ground zero at the temple in Jerusalem, and going to the Galilee. Before he arrived in the Galilee, he ministered to the Samaritans of Sychar. And so there could have been technically a half a year of ministry. What we do know is that John gives us three Passovers that Jesus celebrated in his gospel. And this is how we get the three years of Jesus's ministry timeline for us. John chapter 2 verse 13, John chapter 6 verse 4, John chapter 11 verse 55. That would be the last Passover in the time of his crucifixion. And so John accounts for three Passovers. The theologians debate about the mentioning of a feast day in John 5 1 that 
John doesn't name the feast, but Jesus is there in Jerusalem again. Some debate that this is another Passover. Others say it, it is not. It's a different feast day that's celebrated there. We cannot be sure, but we do know that three are named for us. John 2.13, John 6.4, John 11.55. So at this point, Jesus may have completed at least a half a year, a half a year or more of ministry, maybe not technically a whole year of ministry, but he's coming into a season of transition. He's actually, as I said, even last week and probably uh, before that as well, Jesus was removing himself from ground zero. There was contention already brewing against John the Baptist and against Jesus there in Jerusalem. The religious rulers were having a difficulty with Jesus coming into the temple and clearing it of the money uh, exchangers, those who are selling their wares, the buyers and the sellers being there, and driving them out of the temple. Jesus came and disrupted what had been customarily done for many years there in Jerusalem. Worship of God had become a ritual, a tradition, but people actually lost vision of what true worship was supposed to be. When Jesus, after he cleared the temple, he taught the people, he sat down and he healed many. True worship is about the work of God in our lives, to learn from the Lord, to have him touch us in very special ways. So we find that Jesus now in this transitioning from Jerusalem to the Galilee, and we've looked at him kind of making that trip, going through Samaria first, but now arriving in the Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem in northern Israel still to this day. If you look at a map of Israel, you have the Sea of Galilee. So we're talking about the communities, mainly talking about the communities to the north of the Sea of Galilee and also to the west of the Sea of Galilee. That's mainly what's being emphasized here. Jesus will go to the Decapolis, as we read about in the Gospels. That was on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's mostly where the Romans and the Greeks lived during that time. And we've seen at Bethshane, Lily and I and others from our church have seen the ruins there of Bethshane, where they had a full Roman community during the time of Christ with a 25, I think it was a it's pretty large amphitheater, Roman baths, uh, Roman temples of worship, all in this area where Saul and his sons, after they were killed, their bodies were hung in that area of Bethshane. At this time of Christ, it was a full-on Roman colony there. And so Jesus mostly ministering to the north where Capernaum was, to the west of the Sea of Galilee, where um, Nazareth and Tiberias are located to this day. So we're going to find that Jesus came and was anointed to preach, heal, and set us free. The title of today's message, our chronological journey through the Gospels. Uh, this is our 14th lesson. We're taking all four Gospels. I'm trying to mesh them together and uh, give us kind of a, a feel of how 
All four Gospels laid out in the life of Jesus. And today, we're going to see that Jesus is in this season of transition. He arrives, secondly, in the Galilee. We're going to find the healing of a nobleman's son and his rejection in Nazareth. And so let's go ahead and get into our first point, which is marking that end of that first year of what seems to be a first year of ministry, or at least a half a year or more of ministry and we're going to find the season of transition. And all four Gospels mention this. It's mentioned in John 4, 12, Mark 1, 14, Luke 3, verses 19 and 20, and John 3, verses 22 through 24. All four Gospels mention this transition of Jesus going to the Galilee. John writes it this way in John 3, verses 22 through 24, he says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon by Salim, because there was much water there. They came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And so here we have Jesus still in the area, the season of transition, still in the area of Jerusalem in Judea, although we learn in John 4, 2, that Jesus did not personally baptize anyone, but his disciples were baptizing the people who were coming to Jesus at this time. But it reminds us that the tension in Jerusalem with the religious rulers especially were getting very heated. And the religious rulers had sent priests and Levites and Others, perhaps Pharisees and Sadducees, to investigate John the Baptist. We've learned about this, and they came to investigate John the Baptist. They also were sending those to investigate Jesus at this time. And so Jesus then departed, John 4, verses 1 through 42, which we uh, looked at last week in The Woman at the Well. He departed because of the tension that was brewing there in Jerusalem. But Matthew 4.12 tells us, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to the Galilee. So that was the trigger for Jesus to leave the area of Judea and Jerusalem. John now has been thrown into prison. John then began that trip. We began looking at it, just the order of the Gospel of John. Has us first looking at uh, John 4 and the woman at the well. And then after that, uh, we find him departing and arriving there in the Galilee. So John, the Baptist, now in prison. Luke tells us, John, Luke tells us, Luke 3, 19 and 20, but Herod the Tetrarch, and Tetrarch simply means um, ruler over a third, I believe it's a third, not a quarter, ruler over a third. So the kingdom of Herod had been divided into three sections. So Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut up John in prison. So Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. And he wrote to Theophilus in the Gospel of Luke, in the book of Acts. But it seems that 
Luke understood that Theophilus understood and knew about John the Baptist. So he describes what happens to John the Baptist, how Herod threw him into prison, and the reason behind it, because John rebuked Herod concerning Herodias, his brother's Philip's, his brother Philip's wife. And we learn historically that Herod the Tetrarch married his brother's wife Herodias while they were still legally married. Both of them were still legally married to others. So they had not gotten divorced. There was no annulment, but they decided we're going to get married anyway. We don't care about Roman law. We don't care about the law of God either. But John confronted Herod about their marriage. And Herodias, she would ultimately get her desire in this. Herodias wanted John the Baptist dead. But Herod instead put him in prison. In fact, Luke records, Luke 3.20, of all the evils that he had done, this above all, he shut up John in prison. And that Luke said that this is perhaps the greatest evil, that he shut up the prophet of God who introduced the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and put that man in prison. But Herod at first did not have him put to death because the Bible tells us that Herod, first of all, he feared the people. He also feared John. He thought him to be a prophet. And the Bible tells us that when he heard John, he did many good things. Mark 6, verses 19 through 20. Therefore, Herodias held it against him, wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John. Knowing that he was a just and holy man, he protected him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So he did many things, meaning John actually influenced Herod in a positive way that after uh, Herod would hear John the Baptist preach, Herod would want to do good works. And it apparently Herodias did not want her husband, kind of, because she was still married to his brother. Weird, I know. She did not want him to hear John the Baptist. The best thing would be to shut up the man who was influencing her man. Herod the Tetrarch. If it were not for Herodias, Herod may have repented at the preaching of John. And it was at this time that Jesus removed himself from ground zero and departed to the Galilee. Proverbs 17, 14 says, the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel stops. Sometimes, in this life, we just need to walk away. Sometimes uh, saying more is not better. Sometimes it's better to stay silent, as the Proverbs would say, and be thought a fool rather than open your mouth and say something and everybody knows for sure that you are a fool. Sometimes silence gives us opportunity to think through the process, but sometimes it's just a good time to walk away. Even Jesus, we find, and I titled this a season of transition. Even Jesus went through a period of transition when he knew that the best thing for him at that time and the ministry 
was to walk away from Jerusalem because they were already beginning to desire his death. And so he would take himself out of that situation and go to the Galilee where he would for a year or two find great acceptance there in the Galilee. And we all go through seasons of transition in our life. And we need to realize that seasons of transitions, they will come. It's how we walk through them. And just think about that, how we walk through them. I'm going to come back to that later on in this message and how the Lord uh, brought me through a season of transition through the steps that Lily and I took many years ago. But what I will explain to you is that it took me a while to get there. Lily got there quicker. It took me a while. It's how we walk through the seasons of transitions that will really, for the positive or the negative of how God can work in our lives. I hope you want it for the positive. So Jesus arrives in the Galilee. Once again, all four Gospels speak about this. Mark 4.12, Mark 1, not Matthew 4.12, Mark 1.14, Luke 4.14 and 15, John 4, verses 43 and 45, reading from John. John 4, picking up in verse 43, it says, Now after two days he departed from there, departing from the area of the Samaritans where he ministered to that town, at the woman at the well, that whole thing that we looked at last week. He stayed with them for two days. After two days, he departed from there, went to the Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So he came to Galilee. The Galileans received him, having seen all the things which he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast." So after a two-day detour in Samaria, in the Samaritan territory, remember Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile. They were despised by many of the Jews. Jesus, though, ministered to them there, and there was a great harvest among the Samaritans. Jesus then came to his own people there in the Galilee. But the saying of John in verse 44 A prophet has no honor in his own country. He's not talking about the Galilee. He's not talking about Nazareth, although he will say a very similar thing in the city of Nazareth. We have to remember, Jesus was raised in Nazareth, but Jesus was a Judean and was born in Bethlehem. And so a prophet has no honor among his own people. He's talking about the Judeans. Jesus, being from the tribe of Judah, had to be so according to the word of God. He found no honor. In fact, at this point, they were already beginning to contend with Jesus there in Jerusalem. In Mark 4, 6, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. But unlike the rejection in Nazareth, Jesus being raised in Nazareth, as I said, he put distance between his Judean brethren and sisters, those who were beginning to contend against him, he went to the Galilee to take the pressure off. This was because Jesus was on a God-ordained timeline. He was not going to die in the wrong way, as we'll see in our text today. 
by stoning or being tossed off a cliff. And he wasn't going to die prematurely at the wrong time. And so Jesus put distance because his hour had not yet come. So in John 2, verses 23 through 25, we learn that in verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the feast of Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he did. Now many who had been in Jerusalem were from the Galilee. Jesus now coming into the Galilee. The Galilee is much like saying he came to Lake County. It's just a region there and mostly, and we read in the Gospels, as I said earlier, ministering uh, north of the Sea of Galilee, ministering uh, mostly to the west of the Galilee, although at times he did go to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to minister. But he came into that region and the people recognized them because they had seen the miracles and the Bible says that they believed. He came preaching the kingdom of God. When he came to the Galilee, he preached the very same message that John the Baptist had been preaching there in Judea. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, now after John was shut up in prison, Jesus came to the Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance was the message of Jesus Christ. We have a church today that, especially here in the United States, we have many churches that are more seeker-friendly. They preach a message of acceptance and love, but they fall short in preaching repentance. So they will say, come just as you are and join our church. And that will be the end of it. Do good works. Stay as you are, do good works, join our church, and all things will be fine. Jesus says, come just as you are, but repent of your sin that I might change you, that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Jesus preached a message of repentance. Believe, repent and believe. Confess and believe, however you want to word that. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. And what he is talking about at this point is that the 330 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ, that was the time that they were living in, the fulfillment of the first coming of Jesus, not the second coming of Jesus. We discover as we go through the Gospels, all four Gospels, we combine them together. We discover that the Jews were looking for the Messiah of the second coming, and what they got was the Messiah of the first coming. Today, we are to be looking for the Messiah of the second coming. But some of those three of the 330 prophecies, I will not read them all for you. I'll give you three. I'd said he had left his own people earlier. Genesis 49.10, a prophecy concerning the kingship in Israel. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. 
the scepter, meaning the kingly line that would raise up out of the tribe of Judah, would not depart, nor the lawgiver, until Shiloh, until the Messiah comes. Another one, Daniel 9, 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troubling times. And so after the Babylonian captivity, Daniel prophesied concerning the timing of the coming of the Messiah, and the timing fits perfect with the Gospels. Once they began, that command went forth from Artaxerxes of the Medes and the Persians to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. There was the timeline given to us in Scripture. And they knew that the Messiah was coming just because of prophecy like Daniel 9.25, but also Isaiah 53.5. This is one they did not get. They believed in the coming of the Messiah, but the Messiah of the second coming, they did not understand the suffering servant. In fact, Orthodox Jews to this day believe that Isaiah 53 talks about the nation of Israel and not the Messiah of Israel. But Isaiah 53, 5 reminds us he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus is calling people to repent and believe to this day because the kingdom of God is at hand. And I have to tell you, being raised in the church and though I was raised in a different denomination, and technically Calvary Chapel Movement is not a denomination, but a fellowship of churches with like-minded uh, beliefs, whether in the denomination I was raised in or the Calvary Chapel Movement, both taught, as I was being raised, that Jesus is coming again, that he is going to rapture his church, that before the Lord returns, the trials in this earth and the troubles of this earth will ramp up like never before. Can you say the last couple of years that you've seen things taking place like never before? Like never before? I told my granddaughter, Mackenzie, who is less than a month from being married, that when Lily and I got married, we went through... Uh, a recession, and they keep going back 40 years ago, and we've been married for 43 years, going on 44 years, and that was the beginning of our marriage. Was going through a very difficult time, and um, construction, which is what I was doing, uh, shut down for a while, so it was a hard time for us. But there's so much more going on than 40 years ago. We were just kind of going through a bad same mistakes. 40 years ago, they um, ramped up uh, home buying, allowing people to buy homes that couldn't afford to really buy a home. They crashed the market. They're doing that right now. Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, they're allowing people to buy homes that can't actually afford the homes. They will crash our market, and we're seeing that happen today, but there's so much more going on. We're not, 40 years ago, we weren't troubled about what is a woman, what is a man. I can guarantee you there are churches here in the United States that are saying Happy Mother's Day to men in their congregation 
who are men, they're not the wife, they're not the mother, but they call themselves wives and mothers. Our world is messed up. It's ramping up. So today, repent, believe the kingdom of God is surely at hand, but we continue. In John 4, so I want to tell you, um, I'm mapping this out, chronological journey through the Bible. I shared it with some pastors in January. This is what we're doing. Pastors get together in the Calvary Chapel movement. What are you teaching on? That's just a common question. Where are you at? I'm in the book of Revelation. Well, I did the book of Revelation last year. Last year. Um, it's just something we do. So this year in January, I said, oh, I'm actually taking our church. We just started a chronological journey through the Gospels, meshing them all together. One of the pastors said, what book are you using? <laughs> this one, the Bible. <laughs> and uh, he had a suggestion. I didn't look at his suggestion. And I am looking, I'm getting helps in this. It's hard to mesh it together. So at the beginning of the week, I'm trying to get information out to Dave, who's picking music for us. Um, this is where we're going to be, because normally in the Calvary Chapel movement, we're just going through a book of the Bible. He knows is where I finish, I'll start the next week, but it won't be that way for this year at all. So we have these last two points. And the last two points, the healing of a nobleman's son, Jesus' rejection at Nazareth. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, what came first? The healing of the nobleman's son, the rejection in Nazareth. I'm not sure. At first, I thought, I looked at the Bible map. The Bible maps are not inspired in the back of the Bible, but I did look at the map. And logically, I thought, well, Cana comes before Nazareth if you're traveling north. That makes sense. So originally I'd sent on Monday, Dave, this outline where I had points three and four flipped. But as I began to study, what I thought was my fourth point became my third point because John tells us, and this was the second miracle that Jesus did when he came into the Galilee. What was the first miracle? Turning water into wine. What was the second miracle? Well, this miracle that we're going to read about here. And so even though it doesn't fit well with the map, if I'm traveling to the Galilee, I'm going to go to Cana first, and then I'll go up to, uh, I'll go to Nazareth first, and then I'll go up to Cana. But apparently Jesus went to Cana and went back to Nazareth because here in Cana of Galilee, Jesus performed a second miracle, not his second miracle, because he had performed many signs that are not named for us while he was in Jerusalem. But Jesus came again. John 4, verses 46 through 54. I'm reading down through verse 49. Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water into wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum, some 20 to 25 miles away. When he had heard that Jesus came out of Judea into Galilee and he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see a signs, see signs and wonders, 
you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, again, technically, Capernaum is north of Cana. And we would say, the father, if it was us, we'd say, come up, because we're traveling north. But in the Bible, every time you read about people traveling away from Jerusalem, they're always traveling down. When you read about people going to Jerusalem, they're always traveling up. You always travel up toward God and away from the presence of God. So I believe that's why this man is saying, come down, even though it's north. We got to get our Western thought out of this. It's about 20 to 25 miles away. The man in Capernaum, where Jesus would have his home base, came over to Cana. That was uh, southwest on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus was ministering at this time. And he traveled because the Bible tells us that his son was at the point of death. And he'd heard about the things that Jesus did in Jerusalem. And you cannot tell me that no parents, if they have a child that's near death, will not try to do anything to see their child survive. Jesus, though, at first, he reprimanded all the people. Seems kind of harsh. Unless you see signs or miracles, you will by no means believe. And in fact, they would go on to see three years of signs and wonders, and still the heart of Israel would refuse. At large, the nation would not receive their Messiah. In John 12, 37, but although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Even after three years of doing signs and wonders and teaching in the midst of the people, they not only rejected Jesus, they would have him put on a cross. And I fear, unlike this father, Jesus said, unless you see signs and miracles, you will by no means believe. It did not stop the father from pleading to Jesus come and heal my son. I fear sometimes we give up too soon. We do not experience prayers that prevail because we have this out of sight, out of mind mentality that was like, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. And then we get away from that individual and we stop praying for that individual or the need. I put it in our bulletin, but I think the persistence of Paul, Silas, and Timothy where they wrote to the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, where Paul wrote, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you abounds toward each other. Paul just let them know at the last letter that he wrote this church that we have, the last letter, there may have been others, but... This is what we have. He said, we are bound to give thanks to God for you always. We're praying for you guys always. I think sometimes we fall short and we do not see prevailing prayers that work because we stop praying. But this father did not. He continued to plead with Jesus even after he reprimanded the people, the nobleman said, verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. So he asked the Lord to come. The Lord said, unless you guys see miracles, 
You guys will by no means believe. And the father said, please come. I still need you to come. My son's in trouble. But the Lord said to him, verses 50 through 53, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, your son lives. And so the man asked, what hour did he get better? And they said, verse 20, verse 52, tried to reverse those numbers. Verse 52, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Verse 53, the father knew that it was at the same hour which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he believed himself and his whole household. So even though Jesus reprimanded this father and all the people saying, unless you see signs and miracles, the father still said, come, please come. Then Jesus said to the father, go your way, your son lives. There was no uh, texting. Let me check with my wife. How's the son? He's doing better. Great. Okay, Jesus. See ya. Thanks. All he had was the word of Jesus. All he had was the word of Jesus. But he departed at that word. Having believed the words of Jesus, he began a long journey, 20 to 25 miles. So if he's riding, he could get there maybe within a day. That'd still be a long ride if you're riding. He is a nobleman, so he could have had transportation. If you're walking, biblical times, average journey was 10 miles. That's still a long journey. So we could say if walking, two, two and a half days. The next day, so we know he went through a day, his servants came to meet him. So they kind of met him halfway somewhere in there to let him know his son lived. Jesus would often speak a word and people would respond to that spoken word. The satyrian soldier whose servant was sick came to Jesus, asked and plead, pleaded with Jesus for the life of his servant. And in Matthew 8, 13, Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that same hour. At the word of Jesus, the centurion soldier in this, and we'll get to it, We'll find out that Jesus said, I'll come. And the centurion soldier, who was a Gentile, said, no, I am not worthy for you to come into my house. Just say the word. So his faith was greater. In fact, Jesus would say so, greater than others in all Israel. Just say the word. And Jesus said, as you have believed, it will be done for you. Uh, Syrian Phoenician woman there in the region of Tyre came to Jesus and he, she begged for her daughter's life. And Jesus said in Mark 7, 29, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. She was just begging the Lord for the crumbs off the table. Just give me a little bit, Lord. I know you can heal my daughter. And Jesus said, again, he talked about the great faith. He never said of any Israeli in Israel during the time of his ministry, did he ever say that they had great faith, but he said it of one Gentile woman and one Gentile man, that they had great faith. Joshua, crossing the flooded Jordan, 
When the children of Israel went into the promised land, Joshua 3, verses 7 and 8, two verses, but a long paragraph. The Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. He had just become the leader of Israel, Moses now no longer with them. That they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And it shall come to pass, as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the water of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters shall come that come down from upstream, they shall stand up as a heap. The Lord promised Joshua, this is how it's going to be. This is how all of Israel, some two million people are going to cross over the Jordan River at flood stage, the Bible tells us. Have the priests go carrying the Ark of the Covenant and as the soles of their feet stand in the water, I will stop the flow. I'll have it stand up like a heap. And the children of Israel will pass through. They had to remain in the center of that river while the children of Israel passed over. But they had to take a step of faith. They had to get their feet wet first. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. So taking steps of faith. I said I was going to talk about this. And this takes us all the way back to 1992 when the Lord was calling me and our family to leave Illinois to go to Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, that I would be able to attend the school of ministry, we began taking steps of faith. And we did a lot. That summer, uh, I've mentioned this recently too, but I wish I had that physical strength of a 32-year-old as I was at that time. I had a house that needed to be finished, remodeling. I worked that summer, laying brick in the daytime, coming home, remodeling. When I came home at night, I lost 30 pounds that summer. I went from 175 to 145 pounds. I hadn't weighed 145 since I was in high school. I was just lean and mean, but I was working like crazy. And uh, the weight comes back fast when you stop, and it did. But selling our house, even before it went on the market, packing up our house, taking a long ride, 2,300 miles out to California, selling possessions, vehicles, packing up what we wanted to keep, taking it out to California, moving in, all that still not, did not quite convince me that we were in the place that God wanted us to be. Now, that's a lot of steps, and I was still unsure. In fact, it was the Greek midterm, so eight weeks of school, when we were handed our midterm paper, 125 questions, and I glanced at it, and I said, I know all this. I got 110 on that Greek test. They had bonus points on there, so I even knew the bonus points. But I didn't even start looking at it. It's just like, I know all this, but that was the moment that I understood that I was exactly where I needed to be. I had to sell a house, work like mad to get it ready for selling, 
Lily all along, every time things would go wrong, she would have this common saying, it's because we're supposed to be in California. So yeah, yeah, I hear you say that all the time, but I wasn't convinced. I needed to be convinced. We sold our house, we sold a car, we moved out to California, we unpacked, we actually went from one apartment to another apartment because we chose too small in the first place. Um, in school, a new job went from making, at that time, I think $28 an hour to $6.50 an hour. That was a, that just blew my mind that we even survived. But um, thankfully, Lily worked and made an extra dollar more than she made here. But still, it didn't make up for the loss. But God got us through all of that. But it wasn't until eight weeks into it that the Lord said, all right, now you know, now let's get it done. Sometimes we have to take those steps of faith. We have to take the steps of faith. Even though we're unsure, we go forward. And as we go forward, there'll be a point to where we understand. All right, now I know where I'm supposed to be. And I, and I did for the next, those two years there. I didn't think about anything else other than completing what the Lord had set before me. It was only as that time was coming to an end that we began to think about where the Lord would have us journey next. As the father made his long journey homeward, only on the word of Jesus Christ, but that word is sufficient. If the Lord gives you a word, take the steps of faith. God's word is sufficient to see us through in all the trials. He would learn that his son lives on the following day. He didn't even make it home yet, but his servants came to find him. And this, verse 54, again, is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea in the Galilee. So the first was turning water into wine. The second, the healing of the nobleman's son. And John actually records seven miracles for us. John 2, verses 1 through 11, turning water into wine. John 4, 46 through 54, healing of the nobleman's son. We just looked at that. John 5, 1 through 15, the healing of a man with a 38-year infirmity. John 6, all four Gospels talk about this miracle. John 6, verses 5 through 14, the feeding of the 5,000. John 6, 16 through 21, walking on water. And John 9, 1 through 12, the healing of a man born blind. And the final miracle that John records for us is John 11, verses 1 through 45, the raising of Lazarus from the grave. John goes on to explain at the end of his gospel, John 20, verses 30 and 31, as, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I ask the question, do you live your life by seeing is believing or by believing is seeing? And that is a good question for all of us. It really will plan out how we conduct ourselves in this life. I just looked at my watch. I realized what time it is. We are going to stop it short today right here at point three. We'll pick up point four. We'll become point one for us next week. And we'll pick up with Jesus being rejected at Nazareth next week. Jesus came to preach, to heal, and to set us free. 
We've seen in our text today that even Jesus went through a season of transition, getting away from Jerusalem, Judea, the epicenter where he would be crucified, but he removed himself from there because his hour had not yet come. He went to the Galilee, and he would have a wonderful season there in the Galilee of preaching and teaching and healing and people coming to faith. We'll learn all about that as we continue through our journey through the Gospels. Even Jesus went through a season of transition. We will go through these seasons. May we be willing to take those steps of faith as the Lord takes us through these seasons, keep our eyes on Jesus, and go forward. Go forward. It's all that we can do. It's all I've ever done. as a child and even as an adult and an old man now, I just keep looking to Jesus. He's going to pull me through. We have a pandemic, Lord. Just keep looking to Jesus. He'll get you through it. The recession, the market, keep looking to Jesus. He'll get us through. Also, as Jesus arrived to the Galilee, he preached repentance The kingdom of God is at hand. We don't change the message of the gospel. Just because people don't believe that they need to repent anymore. I learned this morning, someone saying that, um, telling me that the Jewish people today believe that there is no such thing as sin. Well, they have no mediator of sin. In the Jewish mindset, the Old Testament Sin was dealt with at the temple through sacrifice. They don't have a temple. They don't have sacrifice. So all they have is their good works. But the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one good. No, not one. Good works will not cut it. We have many in churches today that are not teaching God's word anymore. No longer do they preach repentance. They preach come as you are, stay as you are. But God says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe and let me work change in your life. I am glad that Jesus Christ is working change in my life and he continues to do so to this day. The Bible tells us the heart is desperately wicked. Who could know it? But I, the Lord, know the heart. And the Lord knows our hearts. We should be those saying, Lord, work change. And then the healing of the nobleman's son. I ask the question, do you live by seeing as believing or by believing as seeing? If we live by seeing as believing, oh man, just shut me up in my house and just let me wait until the Lord comes because we're in trouble. But the Lord doesn't need his church shut up in their homes. He needs his church out in the community proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, calling people to believe, to repent and believe, to receive, to grow, and to go. By trusting in Jesus, doing the things that we know we ought to do. And I believe that that is so important. Some people question faith, they question Jesus, and they walk away from, like Pilate, when Jesus spoke about the truth to Pilate. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And the Bible tells us in John's gospel that he turned and he walked away. 
And the moment Pilate turned away from Jesus, he walked away from truth. Quite often people question faith, and then they walk away from the very source of truth. And they walk away from the church, they walk away from reading the word of God, they walk away from prayer, all these things. But my encouragement would be, don't walk away, stay, even with your questions, stay, because how are you going to learn truth that's found only in Jesus Christ if you remove yourself from the very presence of Jesus? Now we know that Jesus is everywhere. It doesn't matter if we're in this building or in our homes or in the vehicle or car or whatever we might drive, if we're at work, we're at school, wherever we might be. But what I'm saying is take those steps that you know that work, that draw you close to Jesus, and in the process of those steps, you'll discover then the will of Jesus for your life. He'll show you the path. He'll set you on that path. And then it might be like it was for me. It's 32 years old. I had to take a lot of steps and still wait two months to find the confirmation. That's crazy. But... It's what I needed two months into that. I mean, I tell you, six fifty an hour, I didn't even look at my paycheck. It was, it was a joke. That's how I felt. Here you go, Lily. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. And he did. There were times where money would come in the mail when we needed it. He just did. And I can't explain it, but he got us there and back again, the hobbits. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to gather together with the church body. Lord, we are in a very difficult season in our world today. And the last couple of years have been so hard. We wonder, Lord, how are we going to make it? Well, Lord, I know that it will do us no good to walk away from you. It will do us no good, Lord, to remove ourselves from the things that we know that work. Faith in God, reading the Bible, joining together as the body of Christ, being filled with your spirit, taking those steps of faith, even though we're unsure of the path that we might be walking on, but we have an idea, Lord, this is the direction you'd have for us. And so we begin the journey. If you close the door, then let it close. But if the door remains open, Lord, let us faithfully walk forward. Help us to be a people, Lord, that walk forward in this life with the faith that you have given us, trusting in Jesus. Lord, I pray for the moms today. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray for the children's, Lord, that perhaps they've lost their mother in the last few years, or even it's been years ago. They're thinking of mom today. Bless them today. Pray for this church body. Help us to see revival in this place. And let it begin in this church. Let it begin with us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.